there's some hotel bars that I just like, I would just die to go in right now. I just take me as far away from my living room as you possibly can, surrounded by drapes and men in um, suits and uh, really expensive liquor just for, so I can have one drink so I can pretend for 30 minutes. This is Food at a Radio, is all dressed up and has no place to go. You've heard his name praised on this podcast for the in-depth explorations he makes into aspects of Chicago dining from Indian food to Korean food. Now I talk to Nick Kindlesberger, Chicago Tribune food writer and former editor of Serious Eats Chicago and Grub Street Chicago. He's got the time to chat. He was on a two-week furlough from the Tribune. So we talk about getting through coronavirus, getting through a furlough, and what we each plan to eat out when we can. But first, please subscribe to Food Editor Radio at the podcast app of your choice, and leave us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts. I am bored by now. Okay. I, I have to say, I have cooked a lot, and that's been fun. I've cooked with my kids, and now I feel like I've cooked everything. I have cooked everything, and yeah. I'm just kind of tired of all that, and I don't feel like starting over. I mean, I'm making jokes. It's like, so what did we have the first week that we were all doing this? And we'll just have it again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, I don't know. I'm I'm ready to not do this. Imagine that. I'm the only person in America who feels that way. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I feel the same. I'm tired of being, uh, like, uh, what does the, the celebrity have the, the cooks in their kitchen? What is this called? Scullery maid? Uh, no, like, just, uh, professional home cook for a family that is not as appreciative of <laughs> yeah, cooking. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yes. I've, I've had a, my moments of underappreciation too. Uh, and I just go on strike then. And okay. <laughs> you guys can and eat cereal can for dinner. Himself. My child would die if I did that, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I made the mistake of, of doing that when there was leftover Pequod's pizza, so actually no one suffered at all. But So you are home, you are furloughed at the moment. Yeah, so I'm on furlough right now. So everyone in the company, uh, all the writers had to take three weeks off. And um, everyone, most people did it over three months, so one week a month, um, but it with the food department, because restaurants are starting to sort of reopen, we clustered it in the beginning. Um, so I'm now taking two of my weeks and I had already taken a previous week off in the last month, whatever month that was, I'm not really sure what time it is now. Um, (laughs) but, uh, so that way we can uh, get it sort of just out of the way. Um, because I guess, there may be limited indoor seating that would happen eventually, but who really knows at this point what's going on. Right. That was the, yeah. So I'm just staring into the, into two weeks and, you know, usually when you have two weeks or if you're fired from a job or don't have a job, you can just kind of chill out for a week and feel bad for yourself. I'm, you know, got a whole family here. So I have to do more things with the family and, <laughs> and uh, help Mira with her. Uh, she, you know, kids are still in school in Chicago, right? And uh, so 
Mira still has another week and a half, I guess, of, of school. Um, so, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, mine actually, my younger one graduated last week. It was, it was a very August ceremony that involved driving up on the drive into the parking lot for the zoo posing for a picture with, I don't know, some like styrofoam columns in the Lincoln Park High School colors and then moving along. Um, yeah. Fortunately, I don't think he cares one way or the other, but, you know, if he'd been looking forward to graduation, you know, it had, mm-hmm. it had all the charm of being, uh, of going through security at the airport, honestly. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. I don't know what we're doing to our children at this moment. Um, you know, it's not our fault, I guess, necessarily, but I think there's going to be a lot of uh, trauma involved and we're going to be dealing with this for a long time to come. But it's lucky we have, we one of her best friends lives a block away, so we've been letting them go on bike rides. And we're starting the now, the, the, the doubling of, uh, so we can, one family, we've sort of been exposed to each other. So right. we're, we haven't been in, in, in anybody's house yet, but we've sort of hung out in their backyard and done that. So we're trying to get her so she doesn't just despise us because we've been with <laughs> her 24 hours a day for, you know, the past four months. But it's tough. It's uh, it's not fun. Um, it's needed, but I'm really worried about what's going to happen in the upcoming months, because we just don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. And um... my younger one, we we let him and his one friend pretty much go on as life was, because I figured they're sort of a self-contained unit. It's not like yeah. they hang out with a gazillion other kids, and just figured the price of not letting him do that would just be so unmanageable at home. Um, yeah. <laughs> otherwise, you know, my older one has a vibrant Zoom life with his friends, so that oh, seems okay. okay. I can't stand Zoom. I would almost rather do anything else on Earth. Um, I, uh, I, I really hate it so much. I hate the confinement of you having to sit in front of this thing. I don't like staring at other people. Um. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, Skype is wonderful. I can scratch my nose, and it's not broadcast to the world. But yeah, the Zoom is Zoom is extremely self conscious. Is all I can say. Yeah. And I don't know what anybody gets from it. What are you getting from seeing my face? You know, there's all these people there, and then uh, you can't have a conversation with any of them. That's how I feel. Um, but <laughs> I really hate a lot of social media. I just I I just feel like people are just yelling at each other the whole time. And like during this furlough week, I'm trying not to look at anything. Um, because just for my mental health, I've just been so full of anxiety and I just can't even deal with it almost on a day to day. I also think social media has a dynamic that encourages everyone to top the last one with even more horrible stuff. I used to, used to be a standard post when I thought a, a conversation on LTH forum was just getting out of hand. I would just post, and the chef stuck a fork in my eye. Because that seemed mm-hmm. to be where it was leading, you know. <laughs> it's just like every things are getting more and more, you know, heated up. And God knows that happens on social media. And just some of the things. I mean, it's like I don't think the reason for Adam Rapoport to step down is because he dressed as a Puerto Rican once. I find the stuff about how they treated 
non preppy white guys while shooting videos, making them, you know, smile and, and act like they're all big pals and then not paying them extra as the white guys got. That's far worse mm-hmm. to me than a freaking Halloween oh, yeah, costume. Sure. But that's what, think, you know. Uh, yeah, the brown face thing, I think it's just sort of like a flashpoint. It's sort of a... Uh, exactly. There's been so much bubbling underneath that there needs... There's just a moment where things sort of break, which I guess you could say about a lot of things in our society right now. Is there, it was really... There's a lot of talk about it over the past few months. Um, and I think this was sort of like the last, the last thing. Um that doesn't excuse that behavior, I guess, if that makes sense. But yeah. um, No, it's the Al Gore invented the internet thing, where the thing that kind of doesn't really matter somehow nevertheless becomes symbolic of everything. Mm-hmm. You know? So, and people just, people just go bonkers on it, so whatever. I mean, my, my, how much I care about anything happening at the top of Bon Appetit is not great. Uh, yeah. It's a publication that, you know, doesn't actually write that much, I guess. Um, and so it's a lot more video and photo based. Um, so I like the uh, uh, Julia Kramer and obviously sure. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think those were totally legit concerns that, um, that people had against, you know, the pay and you've been uh, having an interesting few days. I've noticed. <laughs> I'm not trying to pick on you. I just wanted to address some of the things that you had said. Um, (laughs) You know, you had talked a lot about like, you know, people should, uh, instead of trying to battle against these institutions, they should sort of create their own, um, which I think that there's a lot of truth in that. Um, But unfortunately, there's not a lot of way to have a career (laughs) these days. Um, As you, you know, you're doing food editor just because you love to do it. Um, and yes. I don't know if 20 years ago you would have been able to, to make more money doing it, but basically, but I'd never no have been hired made... by the places that, that would pay for that. Cause I'm yeah. just too quirky and obnoxious. Uh, I think you, <laughs> you described me very well once as mostly lovable, which I took to mean and part prick. Which I think is is yeah. quite fair. Well, you stick, you have sticking points that you like to uh, discuss. Um, <laughs> Neil. And I, uh, you know, I'm I'm much more willing to play the game. I guess you could say that I'm, um, you know, but that's because also like there just aren't places that pay. Um, right. So the people that are taking on these institutions, I think, are doing it because these are kind of the only institutions that do pay. Um, and so tackling, uh, you know, from the Tribune, I, we've been discussing this a lot internally, like what can we do? Um, because there aren't a lot of the other options for young journalists to, to get into. So there is a, you know, we need to fight the, the powers that be. And uh, because there's no other option, I would love for there to be other options and there are some smaller publications that are popping up, which is really exciting, but um, it's just a struggle. I know. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's obviously different in different categories. I mean, I understand absolutely why the only way to reform a university is to take over the university 
No one, mm-hmm. no one is going to freelance start a University of California, you know, university <laughs> system on the fly. Yeah, we'll we'll have yeah. one in Berkeley maybe, and yeah. So, on the other hand, I mean, a restaurant is is the easiest thing to start. I say that, and of course, it's not at all easy to start a restaurant, but relative to, you know, a school system, yes, it is. And yeah. so, but I mean, it, it also gets in that thing of like if you're, um, you know, a a person of color and you don't have a lot of money and you know, the advantages that, that some people have in being able to create a restaurant, there are those, but then there are other options as we've seen um, with like that too. And, and that being able to start off small and then move up. Yeah. I feel like that's something that, I mean, it's undoubtedly true and yet it's never been better for that. I mean, you have certain, you know, like, uh, I can never pronounce this people's name, but the, the L&M group who backed Jennifer Kim and Passaroto and backed mm-hmm. uh, Diana Davila and Mitakaya, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they're obviously looking for non-white guy chefs and non-white guy concepts. And which is funny since they came from French food, the stuffiest thing of all, you know, so I, I think people give up too soon on that being a possibility and at the same time, I don't mean to diminish that it's hard and you may or may not have, you know, any sort of resources behind you in your family or circle of acquaintances or whatever. But uh, I don't know. I just there's a certain beating your head against the wall thing there. And I've, I've maybe it was maybe it's coming out of the culture of advertising or everybody just hops around all the time. But, you know, mm-hmm. you just you didn't take that shit for very long. And the people who worked there for 20 years, you kind of looked down on them because they were so well adapted to one place that they were maladapted to the rest of the world. I mean, it was one of the things I enjoyed in advertising was walking into a place that was sort of, you know, very hidebound in, in its thinking and just going, hey, why don't we do this? This is what I did at the other place. I, you know, we could do this. And they tell you, oh, yeah, the client will never buy that. And you go to the client and you're fresh face and you sell it to them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, ha- happy ending for, for everybody, theoretically. Um, I just, you know, that, that sort of winged entrepreneurial attitude as opposed to I'm going to drive myself crazy trying to make these people, you know, love me enough and... And all of that. I don't know. That's just that's just kind of where yeah. I come from. Well, it's, it's restaurants are weird. I mean, everything yes. is weird. I guess if you think <laughs> about it. But because you have to make money, because it's a capitalist venture. Um, not fooder. Not fooder. <laughs> but restaurants in general is what I'm saying. And so it's this, this intersection between trying. You know, we're trying to sort of have all these different things, but imposed upon it and. Um, some of that's great, but in the end, you know, you just have to like pay the rent and right. all this kind of stuff, which sort of, I find really fascinating and how restaurants try to deal with all of that. But um, it is true that you can't separate it from the sort of just daily life, I guess. Yeah, I mean, don't think that the boss doesn't feel the same way. I mean, when I did that Chicago Magazine piece talking to different chefs, Ask Kevin Hickey about having Brussels sprouts on his menu. If you want to hear about a guy who's just like, Jesus Christ, do I still have to have, I never thought I'd have to have Brussels sprouts still on my menu after, you know, seven years later after the Brussels sprouts craze. So, yeah. But, you know, you got to, you got to have, 
Your menu has to make people happy. It has to be, it has to give them a way in that resembles every other place that they have eaten at. Right. It's the chicken entree and the, so I guess we've moved, some restaurants have been able to move away from that, but you know, there always has to be chicken on the menu so that someone can order it. Um, But there's always the unadventurous eater in the group or whatever. Right. There's, there's going to be a chicken. There's going to be a steak. There's going to be a Caesar salad. Um, and cho- same thing with dessert. I mean, there has to be a chocolate dessert, you know, and opposed mm-hmm. was talking about that, you know, it's like, you don't have any chocolate desserts. Could you just bring me some chocolate? It's like, no, go buy a Hershey bar on the way home for crying out loud or have a milkshake, you know, Jesus, you don't have to have your chocolate fix. So do you think restaurants are, are really going to be radically different when things, when the dining rooms open? Or do you think that it's sort of going to be, we're just going to try to be as close to the same as possible? I really don't. I mean, the thing I wonder is, am I radically different about them now? And actually, I got invited to a restaurant that has a back patio tonight. If it doesn't rain, be my first time, you know, sitting in a restaurant in, in three months. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to see what my own reactions will be. I'm, I know I'm going to be more, a little more neurotic about it. Are you getting too close to me over there? Are you, you know, are you laughing too mm-hmm. hard and expelling bacteria or vir- <laughs> virus into the air? Um, yeah. All that kind of stuff. I don't know. I, I don't know what my reactions are going to be. I don't know how much I, I mean, in some ways I miss the chase that I've been on for the last dozen years you know, oh, what's the new thing so that I can run back to the internet and be the first one to talk about this place? Mm-hmm. And I just haven't really been doing that. And maybe I don't need to do it anymore in my life. Maybe that was just a phase and I do something else now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seemed like the little bit the things were open, people were kind of happy to have that experience again. But I don't know, is anybody going to feel good about being packed into a restaurant at some future date? I guess if we all have the, the vaccine that doesn't exist yet, mm-hmm. then we will. But I don't know, walking into it for unprotected dinner doesn't necessarily sound like a good idea to me. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Especially since a lot of the most exciting restaurants in Chicago were the ones that were the most packed. <laughs> Because they yeah. were doing something that wasn't economically feasible if you had, if you were downtown with huge restaurants and, you know, the, the being able to take chances is, I don't know if that's going to be as, as easy anymore because the comfort of the diner or the sort of safety of the diner is now the most important. So are we going to go back to a time where <laughs> the big cushy booths and the, well, yeah, you know, that's that's with, what Michael Muser with, was saying about Ever. It's like they're built for this because they're built oh, okay. for that super luxury model of, you know, big comfy chairs far apart from other people. And the waiters have, you know, it's not just six feet from you to the next table, but they're six feet from you to the waiter to the next table. I'm not going to increase my number of $500 dinners from, you know, where, where it's been fairly stable for years. I'm not just going to suddenly do that every night. Right. 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 It becomes more, even more elusive, I guess. Um, it could get even more expensive. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems weird to complain about comfort <laughs> and like having comfy chairs, but both you and I know that the two aren't necessarily linked um, with the quality of the food. Though they they can be, obviously. There's a level where that exists, but you know, the hotel restaurant is sort of as boring as it gets. Is sort of how my mind tracks it, I guess. Where you know, I can cook all of this food at home better than the you know the the chefs that don't care that they're there and that sort of thing. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's it'll be okay to be Ever or Smith or Oriole who are really fantastic. It'll be much mm-hmm. less okay to be in the hotel doing even high quality but sort of by the numbers food. And I think, I mean, that's what I've been saying for a while is I think the first things we're going to see close is the groups that have opened those hotel restaurants, just because someone approached them with a concept and underwrote it to some extent and whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no great love for those restaurants. You know, no one, no one was burning to open a hotel restaurant like that. And I think those places, when they, when they look at what they're going to cut, those are going to be the first to go. Because the hotels, you know, if the hotels have been kicking in or cutting them a sweetheart deal or whatever, they're not going to be able to do that either. The hotel's own survival is at stake. So right. if you're not a destination restaurant to begin with, it just happens to be in the hotel. You know, if you're just, right. a, you're just a place for people who can't walk outside to go eat in downtown Chicago, then why do you exist? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. What about you? Were you are you gonna go out to restaurants? You take your kid out to restaurants now? If um, I haven't taken, well, my Abby and Mira like sort of literally have never been, haven't been anywhere um, during this whole time, and I've tried to only go out like once a week, I guess. Um, so we're not in any great hurry to go out. You know, we bought things from restaurants, you know, right? You know, to take out, but. I feel really conflicted about whether we're ready to do that. And uh, I'm very concerned about a uh, second wave of, of people because states have already lightened up things so much. But I don't know. I mean, we, I mean, it's the unknown, I guess, is what it all is. And, you know, of course, there's nothing more that I would want than to, like, go to the Chicago Athletic Club and have a cocktail yeah. And uh, one of those things. That's what I've been wondering for some reason. It's like um, weird. I was just bad mouthing hotel places, but like there's some hotel bars that I just like, I would just die to go in right now. Right. <laughs> you take me as far away from my living room as you possibly can and <laughs> get me in surrounded by drapes and men in um, suits and uh, really expensive liquor just for so i can have one drink so i can pretend for 30 minutes so i'm i'm the same way that's my that's my grown-up life and i don't need much of it <laughs> but i can't have right. any of it so you know i i used to work every day downtown and so it's weird because the neighborhoods like logan square are very are not super busy but they're just people about you know because everyone's home so they're walking their dogs and everything and then but I drove downtown the other day to pick up a book from the office oh like 20 books but uh you know (laughs) and it's just there's nothing you know it's so weird to be down there and see how many things are boarded up and this is even before the the 
you know, the protests were happening. It feels like that sort of world doesn't exist right now, I guess. Like, it's not even that we're trying to stay away. It's like, it's not even there. I've had the recurring thought where I think, I'm so tired of this. Maybe I should just, like, take a trip to Mexico. Oh, right, this is happening in the whole world. There's not, like, a place you can go and get away (laughs) from it. It's It's not like snow. (laughs) <laughs> that you can simply yeah. go somewhere else on a plane. Yeah, and any place that's not taking it seriously is the place that you don't want to be right it's, now. It's really scary, yeah. <laughs> I know. I've been I've been feeling really down for the past three months just because I don't, I don't see an, uh, an answer or a window or anything, which I know is just terrifying to talk about and not yes. fun for a podcast. But that's sort of where I my head's been. I didn't felt you know, like I'm home all the time, but I haven't felt like doing much because I haven't been in, in interested or I just have this worry sort of over everything, this cloud that I haven't been able to get out of. I don't know. I've been is, motivated to cook with the kids and they're learning about, I mean, Miles was quizzing me last night about, we had basically Judy Rogers, Zuni Cafe roast chicken. And was just quizzing me about how to do it because, you know, if he goes back to school next year, he's going to be living with a bunch of guys and he he sh- should cook some good things. They shouldn't be living on mm-hmm. a Swanson dinner. So um, <laughs> he's asking me about how to do it. So that's been cool. Both kids are into their own kind of cooking. Um, you very much see their parents in them. Miles wants it all written down and wants the rules, and that's Susan. And Liam's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm just going to start frying things and wing it, and that's me. But uh, <laughs> so we've been doing yeah. that, and we've been watching a lot of movies. We we've been catching up on art films. We watched, you know, Kieslowski's Blue, White, and Red, which were mid '90s art house hits, uh, not too long ago, mm-hmm. and I hadn't seen since then. So you know, we're using the time productively, mostly not feeling under house arrest, but sometimes you do. I'm just wondering, so when I, you know, you, a year ago at the Tribune, my schedule would have been to go out to, you know, three restaurants a day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do that again. It's one of the things that keeps coming up on this podcast is somebody sooner or later mentions like you going out for Indian food in the burbs or whatever. Um, this podcast has been a, a big supporter of yours uh as it turns out no, and i know i've been very <laughs> is is that going to exist or would you want to do that now and also do do people want to read that now do people is anybody going to be in the mood for vicariously exploring uzbeki food of the western suburbs uh mm-hmm. we're not I, you know i'm not sure that any of that you know it's all kind of a pre-covid era mentality about what to read in food writing yeah you know if you've been stuck in your neighborhood for you know six months or whatever this turns out to be and are you going to want to travel really far away or are you going to want to try to go to your your corner restaurant that you haven't been to yeah um, or are you going to be so stifled that you're going to be like i'll go anywhere <laughs> i'll yeah. go to schomburg <laughs> to try this place because i read about it one time and, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, there's nothing new. Well, I guess it's not true. There's been a lot of creativity in restaurants for home, like for uh, meal kits and that right. sort of thing. 
which has been um, pretty interesting to to watch because the I think the restaurants that tried to do the same thing that they were doing had did not um, it didn't translate as well. Um, and then the restaurants that were just like, okay, everything's different. We're gonna just you know do whatever we we think might work are the ones that are actually getting or figuring out. Um, I think of uh, you know I've, I've written about Flatten Point, but it's just because it's like two blocks away from where I live, and right. you know they basically were just like, all right, we're storing the front now. We have wine. We're gonna make bagels in the morning. We're gonna do all of this. Um, now, do they want to stay doing that? I don't know. Or the moment that they can have a full restaurant again, where they like, thank God we don't have to get up at eight in the morning to make bagels or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's what I don't know. I, you know, I think a lot of them are going to change. Um, and, you know, they're just going to learn things that they liked along the way and, and do them. I've had real mixed feelings i mean i we did a bunch of takeout we did a bunch of the the fancy restaurants doing things you know we got elska the first weekend and whatever and it was all good i kind of hit a wall on one comfort food from those places i want their froofy food again okay. uh, as, as good as the comfort food was and also Jesus, I had so many plastic containers in my house. I just kind of felt <laughs> guilty about that. I mean, it, yeah, you get like literally 25 of them with with an order for four people. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we use a lot of them. My my kitchen looks, or my fridge looks a lot more like a professional fridge now because it's all these deli cups with tape labels on them. Yeah, we were trying at the Tribune to just to write like once a week or something about like one of those places. And, um, it just didn't, no one read it, you know? And so we just stopped, but it well, was and also, also it'll, like, be, yeah, it'll I, change by the next week when you, you know, your story comes out and, Oh, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah, that's true. And it, it just, the comfort food just works so much better for the take home, like, uh, and reheating. Um, cause yeah, I, I, I stopped doing those things. Um, the fancier ones when I got like 25 little plastic containers for one meal and I tried to put it all together and then like it didn't, you know, I don't know. It wasn't, it didn't work. It didn't translate to the picking up and taking home and that sort of thing. I don't know. I actually have not had one that bombed in that way. I mean, I was kind of surprised. I got Le Bouchon. It was actually our anniversary. And I get this sort of pale, partly cooked, maybe sous vide or something, I don't even know, duck. And it says, you know, stick in the oven at 425 for 40 minutes. And I kind of doubted it. But I did it, and it was beautiful when it was done. I mean, they clearly road tested their stuff and figured mm-hmm. out how to make it work. I had a, one from Lania Brava in the same way. I mean, it was like very much undone, but their instructions were dead on, and you know, even a caveman could do it. So uh, I was I was happy with the results, and at the same time, I sort of felt like, why don't I just cook? Because I know how to do that. Yeah, I know. I feel I I've been cooking a lot, but yeah, I, I am starting to feel like you are, where it's just like, well, what do I do now? Like, I, <laughs> can I? Yeah, it's time to like redo things. Up, you know, I can't keep cooking new things the whole time. And 
it is interesting. It made me think about, you know, the dishes that are sort of my retinue of, of typical dishes that I just do when I can't think of anything else. Uh, and that I know the kids like and all that. I, uh, it made me think about, I don't know, how often do I actually have this? You know, how, when is too soon to have it? It's weird looking back, like, because when I was a kid, you know, I feel like we had the same meal. <laughs> Every week. <laughs> it was like Friday was spaghetti day. And it was, you know, that's how I survived. I was also in, you know, small town, southern Indiana. So we didn't have a butcher to go get brisket um, right. at the corner. You know, we had to drive forever if we wanted to do that. But, yeah, I wonder what we're doing to our children when every day is different. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have to learn to cook it themselves, you know, which is, yeah. which is good. So. But yeah, I want those key meals that, like, oh, yeah, this is what we do. But I don't know. I don't want to not – I want to eat what I want to eat. That's, the, that's why I do what I do is I, I just, like, I, I refuse to eat things that aren't good. I just walk away from them. Right. <laughs> and – uh so I, there's a little bit of conflict in that, in that, I guess. Let's talk about something topical at the moment, which is that due to current events, publications are really focusing on African-American restaurants at the moment. Uh, kind of long overdue, if you ask me. What do you think about that? You know, there was a, it was a feeling that you want to support and you want to help, you know, the um, black-owned restaurants, if you can. The Tribune kind of wanted me to collect all the names, I guess. And then I had to say, like, there were hundreds of them. <laughs> right. And that it would be better to point to the lists that other people have created. Um, and so I'm glad I pushed back on that, because I think that, that the people have been working really hard to sort of create these lists and... and um, you know, get to know these restaurateurs and that sort of thing. Um, but I don't know if that's enough right now is, is just eating at these restaurants, I guess. Yeah. Um, because you and I both know like the, the disparity between sort of the black neighborhoods in Chicago and, and other neighborhoods is just, is just sort of extraordinary in, in how different they are. The hardest thing I ever did for a thrillist list was the soul food restaurants one because I would look up places and they would have reviews on Yelp or whatever. And I would drive to 5,000 West Madison or whatever, and they'd be dead. They'd be gone. Yeah. And it's just their, their lifespan was so much shorter Their The amount of time that they had to like get any sort of attention and be you know, visible online it was a blink of an eye compared to other parts of town. And I've, you know, I found so many places. Yeah, we could have made a great list of places that closed six months ago. And yeah. that that was just I mean, it was sad. It was it was tough and it just shows you what they're up against in in those neighborhoods. The thing I think is really interesting and that also is kind of disheartening, I mean like seventy fifth street is the success story kind of of the south side there. I mean, it's always had limbs. Uh, Brown Sugar Bakery is there, and they're well-known and have an outlet in Navy Pier. Um, and there's some other places. The guy at, at A&S Liquors there, which got looted, uh, you know, has, like, helped get some other businesses started. You know, my beloved Five Loaves Eatery is down there. So, you know, 
there's a good little strip there and it was going to be one of those streets where they were going to have dining in close off the street have dining in the street right now and stuff like that and then the looting and the you know the protests and you just don't know so was that the end of that is this not going to come back from that we don't really know Mm -hmm. yet i mean i think it's okay and it's just going to be a blip but you don't know yeah well it's like the underlying you know the protests have been about the sort of underlying nature of this disparity. And I think that's been great. And I think that are ways to approach it because, you know, for years I've written about restaurants on the South side and sort of glanced over the fact that most of them have bulletproof glass right, yeah. on their windows. And it's, uh, I didn't, you know, it's, it's hard for me to, to, to deal with that because I didn't grow up in, in a large city and I don't know what, I didn't know all of the history that went into all of those things when I first started writing about. I'm not sure it's even common elsewhere in quite that way. Because I remember when Adrian Miller came here, author of Soul Food and stuff like that, and he was like, I'm getting a bunch of people together. We're going to try a barbecue. Uh, is there a good one we could go to and we could all sit down there? I was like, none of them have mm-hmm. sit down, man. Yeah. So, you know, he found a rec room at a community center for us to all like pick up the food and go to. Because yeah. there just wasn't a place that we could sit down with it. Yeah. And, you know, my wife um, taught for years in Austin. And um, Austin used to be one of the have the most populous community in, in Chicago. Um, that's been passed by Lakeview, I think, now. But there were very few restaurants where people could go and sit down. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things that you don't know. It, you can't just say restaurants should have tables because <laughs> right. they they don't have tables for reasons, you know. But um, you know, I feel like definitely I haven't done enough to to talk about that. I guess um, it's just really sad. It just always made me really sad, and I never knew what to do. I guess there's that helplessness of it all. Like, where do you even start? Well, and I think that's one of the things. I mean, is I think the lists are great. Here's a list of all these black-owned restaurants. That's great. It's still just a list. It's not mm-hmm. integrating them into the food scene really beyond that. It's not telling you, like, oh, you should really check out Five Loaves Eatery because they're so sweet and it's really delicious, uh, you know, soul food breakfast, all fresh made, yada, yada, yada. Um, right. It's not quoting her in a story as opposed to picking somebody on the north side. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, there's all those ways that restaurants are kind of in the mainstream. And if the only black chef who ever gets quoted is Eric Williams, that's not really that good for the scene. Um, Right. And I think... You know, and I'm not, I'm not pointing a finger at anybody, Tribune or anybody else. I'm saying it's just kind of how we all do. <laughs> no, I'm really not. Yeah, well, not. it's a, it's not. So much of it is is not malicious. It's just sort of convenience. You know, like I have this person's phone number, so I can call them in five minutes. And John Mannion will it. always give you good quotes, so you call John Mannion. Right. right. So there's a there's an evilness to some things and then there's just sort of a a convenience way which doesn't make them any that doesn't excuse that fact but 
sort of helps explain why things have lasted so long. I right. guess, the way and we're all we're all on deadline. Well, not me, but we're all on deadline. And you know, well, you try to post specific times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good yeah. to have a deadline. Yeah, you could yeah. you could have an article that would go on forever if you didn't say like it needs to be done. And, yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, no, no, I mean, exactly. I, I I get with that with um with uh, Mexican restaurants all the time because there's just so many and. Um, there's you know, so many, and you learn. can always quote, you know, Jonathan Zaragoza. Yeah, you can, um, and he's great, you know, but and he's but he's just one of many, I guess, and so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I think it's you, you just have to try, and you have to venture down there, and I'm sure just the way that I say down there, right there, is revealing of something. Um, yeah, but I'm very, I'm very, uh, North South, you know, two, two dimensional grid thinking in my brain about, well, it's, yeah, the Chicago is like, it's so grid focused that you say, Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> but yeah, I know it sounds bad. And we talk about that a lot when, in writing as well at the Tribune. Um, cause I do that with the suburbs all the time. I'm like, just like, you can go all the way out there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. then you forget that like a lot of people live out there. Yeah, your your so, subscribers are as likely to live in Lombard as they are Oh my god. Yeah. You know, so Yeah, I mean that's the thing is like at the I've been trying to write more about the suburbs because I find it just fascinating that you know, any I think I find most things fascinating and so especially at, if I don't know anything about them and so um, but I've tried to do more stuff in the suburbs because I'm just like, people live there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and no so one, and no one writes about it there either. There aren't, you know, the tightest through cities of, you know, of Hoffman estates going, dude, right. there's the greatest new place here in Hoffman estates. You have to check it out. Yeah, no. And, and there's, you know, a lot of boring stuff in the suburbs because there's a lot of chains and there's a lot of stuff that they're, you know, it's really interesting to to find places that are just feeding the community, you know, that happens to be like this one kind of food. I find that really interesting. Yeah. And I think, you know, also it's just certain parts of them are really the immigrant gateways now and the city is not. And I mean, Koreans go to Niles. They don't come mm-hmm. to Koreatown in the city. Um, Obviously, a lot of Middle Eastern down in Bridgeview and things like that. And the Indians are all over Schaumburg and places like that. So there's there that's where you're going to find the restaurants that are less Americanized and have more representation of what's really being served in those countries right now. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's really worth checking out. But it's always just... You know, it it is a bit of an expedition for those of us who live in the city. You have to make a conscious choice. I'm going to go eat at this Korean place and drive past eight Korean places to get to it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I can do that at lunch. I It's harder to get the family to go out and do it, to say we're going to go. Oh, yeah. Indian and Sean. Yeah, no, I did, all my, I did all my research at lunch um, because, I mean – for a million reasons. Um, you know, my kid had, you know, school the next day. Traffic's terrible at night. <laughs> I can get there right. in 20 minutes during lunch, or it can take an hour and a half to get there at night. Um, and uh, so, yeah. But that's, uh, but there are a lot of 
you know, there are a lot of dinner places that I just haven't been to because I just didn't have to, don't have the time or the ability to, to visit, but I can do lunch places, I guess. Yeah. You know, the one category that I regret, and I just do not know it, and this is in the city even, I don't know it, I'm not going to get to know it, is all those Mexican seafood places, you know, the mariscos, mm. whatever, especially on the south side. It just does not sell with my family at all. And if we went there, they're going to order the burrito, even if it's a shrimp place, you know? Yeah. So I just don't, I just don't go to them. I don't know. It's a closed book to me, sadly. So I know a few places. It's funny because I just made um, the uh, a Mexican cocktail for dinner. <laughs> oh, okay. Because <laughs> I was thinking about them. I was thinking about places in Mexico City where you like just wander up to the counter and they just give you a big cup cocktail glass full of the um you know the shrimp in the sauce and everything which is one of my favorite things but um yeah no the there are so many mariscos places that and they seem some a lot of them seem related to each other um that it's hard for me to to know where to even begin i guess um la palapa i guess is the one that that always comes to mind that is really nice um like a really fun atmosphere and feels like you're outside on a beach, I guess. Um, Cause I do love that food a lot. There's always more to, to dig into. Um, and a lot of it is unfortunately dictated by whether or not I think there will be a spot where, you know, whether this, there will be a response online to it or not. Um, yeah. But that's just in the nature of what I do is I have to sort of balance these things. So I'll be able, you know, so I do a burger list, but I also do Indian in the suburbs, you know, like I try to, to do both because if I don't do one, then I can't do the other. Um, fortunately, like the Indian thing did, did very well. That's uh, what I was going to ask. Did, did, did that get a lot of readership or were you just talking past an audience that doesn't really look at the Tribune to begin with? Um, I mean, it did okay. It did fine. It did, but I, it definitely did not. You know, it was pretty expensive to do, um, but I had just done like a burger thing that just, you know, killed. And right. so it was, it was, and that was pretty cheap to do. So I do have to balance those things, but I, I'm, you know, I'm aware that you have to have traffic or then what's the point of the publication paying me to do this sort of thing. Um, See, I'm but, not aware you of know, that like, at all, so... <laughs> but yeah that's why i'm lucky that i'm not spending my money i guess uh but uh the korean thing we did was did very well and i'm very proud of that one because that was something where um louisa and grace wong and i were just like no one has done this and we should do it but we need to do it completely and it took a long time but we uh told a story that was really interesting i thought so i'm i'm very happy with with those but the only one i don't know hasn't been many of those sort of deep dives that haven't worked so i, I did a veggie burger one because everyone asked me about veggie burgers and it was the worst thing worst <laughs> week or month i guess i've ever had done i just felt i felt really not good the whole time um like my body didn't feel good and uh, then nothing happened. It was like, no, it just floated by. 
And I don't know why everyone asked me for veggie burger recommendations, but I really tried to figure it out. And uh, I really didn't like most of them. 90% of them. <laughs> I'm a confirmed anti-fake food person. I mean, if I'm, if I'm going to eat vegetarian, I do a lot. I mean, especially, I mean, I, you know, I joined the Rancho Gordo bean club and I make my, you know, vegan bean soups and stuff like that, but I'm not going to try and fake food with it. I, you know, I'm going to eat Indian. I'm going to eat Italian. I'm going to eat cuisines that leaving out meat comes naturally to, and it's satisfying. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but if I want a burger, I'm just going to eat a damn burger. So, yeah. I feel a little weird. I feel like I'm interested in the fake meats um, that have been coming around recently because they are so much different than Satan or we call Boca it fake burgers. meat at work. But, <laughs> yeah. but like the Impossible Burger and stuff, I think it, it does an admirable job and scratches an itch for people. But personally, I, would, I don't need it. But I wouldn't mind if more people that went to McDonald's or Burger King instead of eating, uh, you know, whatever meat that is, if they switched to the impossible and they were fine, then that's, that's totally fine with me. I'm, yeah. It's not um, that far a leap from, from some of those. No, it's not. No. I remember talking to meathead Goldwyn, um, and he was just like, I went to Burger King, you know, cause he was like, I don't know what this is. And he's a really great cookbook author and barbecue guy. Yeah. Um, but, he, uh, he was saying, like, you know, you, you eat the Burger King Impossible Burger, and you're like, this tastes exactly the same. And then right. if you pull the meat apart, you're like, well, no, it doesn't. It tastes really different. But because you have put all that crap on it, it doesn't really matter what is underneath sometimes. Yeah, there's fake, you know, flame grill taste on the meat burger, so why can't it go on <laughs> the non-meat burger? Oh, I know. Oh, yeah, because they just charred the hell out of those burgers in this thing. Oh, just Did you see the news story, by the way, about the, or no, I think it was just tweets. This is kind of hilarious. It was the, uh, the, uh, clandestine Burger King. It was a Burger King that lost their, their license. So, and couldn't get the supplies, couldn't get the bags or anything. They lost their franchise. So they're like going to the grocery store and buying food and trying to make Burger King food with, uh-huh. <laughs> with like grocery store buns and meat and stuff. And people are like, this is a bullshit Burger King. <laughs> what, is, you know, what is this? Uh, but there was something, I don't know, there was something kind of charming about, you know, trying to maintain truth to the Burger King model when, you, you know, <laughs> when you've sort of been abandoned by the mothership. <laughs> you know. A lot of uh, sort of my interest in food came after, you know, leaving my small town and realizing that not all burgers were frozen, right. you know, pucks. And uh, so I, I, I have no, I have no really almost no love for any fast food. Cause I just, I remember it as this sort of, this sort of fake thing that I thought was real. And then yeah. I, it just seems so bad next to, you know, I mean, admittedly in Wichita, we had like some old school burger places that would, you know, the guy would roll a, a ball of meat and then slap it with his hand onto the grill and smoosh it out yeah. and stuff like that. You know, so I, 
even as a uh, fairly indiscriminate kid, I was sort of leaning toward uh, those places, even as I ate a lot of McDonald's, I'm sure. But, uh-huh. uh, but yeah, it's like, you know, I, I'm thankful for Culver's, not because I think it's like the greatest burger, but sometimes you're in the middle of nowhere and it's that or Burger King. And that's an easy choice. Oh my God. Yeah. It's a wild difference between the two. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I kind of love that. I, you know, I totally did a burger thing on fast food burgers and I, but I, I kind of approached it less as like a, I don't know. I, I was just so interested in the, how they, the, how they differed from each other. And cause I just don't go to fast food at all. So I thought when you get to Culver's, you're just like, Holy cow. Like this is like actually a burger. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they toasted the bun and, they did it. and it's so easy. I don't understand. But you know, when you, uh, you see that difference between what's served at McDonald's and, yeah, well, you know, I mean, I worked at McDonald's in high school, and it's all about the processes. It's all, mm-hmm. you know, you you pop six hockey, hockey puck patties onto a grill in a particular formation, and you press a button. And when the button mm-hmm. beeps in a minute and a half, you flip them in that same, you know, uh, arrangement. And in the meantime, you've got six buns on a tray. And those go into the thing and then they come out and then you've got a a ketchup squirter that puts out a precise amount of ketchup and you go, you know, on all six. And it's designed so a monkey can do it. And Mm -hmm. if there was any actual cooking and actually I worked breakfast too and breakfast, you kind of can't help a little actual cooking in it. Um, mm-hmm. so it, you actually had to be a little good to cook McDonald's breakfast, but you absolutely could be a monkey and cook McDonald's lunch. <laughs> and you also learn the processes. I mean, if, if I walked into a McDonald's at 12 and they're like, oh my God, all the, all the cooks just dropped with COVID. Does anyone know how to cook McDonald's food? I could leap behind that grill and just go right to work right now. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I would love, I don't know. I, I feel like my whole position is that, you know, that's not how good food is made. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Um, I agree. But that doesn't mean that it can't ever in the history, like, we can't figure it out that, because I get the whole idea that it's affordable to people who can't um, it's you know, afford anything else. kind of expensive, though. You know? It's... But, yeah. It is, like, you know, like, there's the dollar menu, but it would be better if everyone cooked at home, I guess, but you know, people have jobs where they're not home very much and all this kind of stuff. And it, it is, it is less expensive than a lot of stuff, but it just doesn't, it doesn't taste good to me. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, a lot of people, it's just, I don't know what happened. You know, mom went to work and she she couldn't teach the, the kids to cook like her mom did. Um, home ec classes stop being taught, whatever it is. I mean, you certainly see it if you look at what other people buy at the grocery store. They're in a store that has whole chickens. They have chicken, you know, breasts in a in a styrofoam thing, and they'll buy a box of frozen skinless chicken breasts. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I, I guess there's some convenience to that, but you can also just buy as much chicken as you need and cook that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I 
I think there are a lot of things that I think people are scared to touch. And I mean, I understand that. I don't really like cooking lamb because I just see, you know, money being instantly ruined <laughs> by me. You know, I'm, I'm just don't, I don't have the experience with it. Um, yeah. But, you know, a chicken, it's not really that hard. So, yeah. I don't know what the answer is. Do we have any answers, Nick? We're at like the hour no. mark, so we need answers. What are, What are the answers I, that we found today? I, I just like um, I feel overwhelmed almost every day of my life. I guess my mom sort of taught me and just an overwhelming amount of empathy, and so I really just in trying to understand or just sort of at least understand that people are upset and. Um, trying to, to figure out their point of view, I guess. And I like that. It doesn't make me a very functional human being sometimes. I just <laughs> sort of can't make decisions. Um, but I really do like want what's best for everyone. And I want people to, to have, you know, to be able to do what they need to do. So that's sort of how I feel most days, I guess. But I don't know if that's an answer to anything. Well, <laughs> it's all just about getting getting through it and that's that's what this yeah, podcast so. is about it's about me yeah. having a chance to talk to somebody else for an hour about getting through it um yeah all right so let's end on a food note what okay. what do you want to go eat either that you what can or that you can't i don't know but just something that you you wish you you were having right now well, I don't want this to sound like I'm pandering, but like I really do miss um, Southside barbecue. I have not had it since February, I guess. Um, so I would love um, Trice's original uh, slab barbecue with uh, the rib tips and hot link combo. Now, see, you called it by both those names. And I have to say, I went once to slab. And then I went one time to go find this Trice's place that you had written about. And it was uh -huh. Slab. So Well, it was called Slab. And then another place opened that also mentioned Slab. And so then he decided to be Trice's original Slab. But <laughs> okay. there's probably a little bit of conflict with the naming. Or just like, you know, things haven't caught up. But anyway, the one that's... Uh, it was not a bad South thing to go twice. Yeah, It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> So there's that place. Um, I desperately want a cocktail downtown in a hotel restaurant, like in the Chicago Athletic Association. I want, um, I'm just going to keep going until I stop, I guess. <laughs> I miss, uh, I do miss Zaragoza, um, I, but I want to sit on, in the, on the counter, not on the counter, like at the counter <laughs> right. and watch them cut the meat and then put it on the plate and then pour the sort of uh, the the ritual of it all, you know, because yes. you don't just like get your food. It's like this whole process of them doing it, and yeah. So the, that's what I miss. And I don't now. want I don't want the tortillas from there being more than a couple minutes old either. I mean, it's, right. not, it's not that they're going to be bad, but they're not going to be nearly as good. You know, they, when their tortillas are, I mean, their tortillas are always kind of unbelievable. Um, really great. So yeah, that's my, those are my answers, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Now I've asked that. I don't know. I mean, I definitely, I'd love to go to a bar. Uh, the one it's something bird. I can't even think of the name of it, but it's in the, the hotel that the Hoxton hotel. Uh, I wanted mm. to check that place out or, or 
bamboo room. Oh, the one underground? Yeah, yeah. In the basement? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's more just, I mean, I don't, I don't go to bars that much, but the idea of just sitting in a bar and, list, you know, just eavesdropping, you're listening to the buzz and vibe of the place. That just seems very appealing mm-hmm. at the moment. Other than that, I don't know. I mean, I've mostly been able to get the food that I like. It's more just the experience. I haven't... You know, I haven't been able to, haven't been able to go on a date with my wife. You know, we're yeah. all we're all just on top of each other here. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, let's all have dinner again, shall we? So. <laughs> well, I hope you're staying sane, and thanks for the call. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Food Eater Radio is all dressed up and has no place to go. And thanks to my guest, Nick Kindlesberger. Music is by Kevin McLeod. Please subscribe to Food Eater Radio at the podcast app of your choice. And consider leaving a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts to help other people discover it too. Thanks. <laughs>